Well, again, Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to our church, if this is your first time visiting. Christmas is, we know, a season of renewed love and devotion to the Lord as we reflect on Him coming to us as a child. Last week, we learned about Emmanuel, as Pastor Weiler preached about what it meant for God to be with us, what it was about, why Jesus came and dwelled with man on earth. Of course, on Christmas Eve, again, we're going to talk about the birth of our Savior. A child has been born. Christmas is just a celebration of gifts. We celebrate that and reflect that by giving gifts to one another. But our greatest gift comes from God. In James chapter 1, we know where we're told that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from our Father above, our Father of lights. He is a wonderful blessed God. Today we're going to, to turn to the Old Testament. Second Kings again, that's the text we're going to be in. We're going to see that God has been in the business of giving gifts throughout all humanity. We have a benevolent, benevolent God who wants to bestow gifts upon his people. We see this through the entirety of Scripture. It didn't just begin on Christmas, though Christmas is extra special. God gives to us, and for that reason, we worship him. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we find a story of a man who has it all. His name is Naaman. He has influence, power, prestige, money. He has celebrity status. He's a Gentile. That means he's a non-Jew. And Naaman is general of the king's army in Aram. That is Syria. For all accounts, Naaman is what the world would esteem as a self-made man. He has fortune. He has attained prominence and victory in everything that he has attempted, his life and career. In this text, we'll see he has achieved human greatness. But Naaman has a problem. What is that problem? He's a leper. We will watch as God orchestrates the events surrounding Naaman's life in order to turn this self-made man into a remade man, all entirely to bring glory to the God of Israel. God arranges these background circumstances. He coordinates the occasion of events. He sends a witness to this individual. He provides Naaman the word of God through a man of God. He fashions a heart of Naaman, a heart of repentance. And God provides a complete cleansing from the past. The result is a man who devotes the remainder of his life to the God of Israel, Yahweh. Is that good news? Very good news. Look at the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says that now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior. Naaman was at the top of his game. The Hebrew word here for captain is sar, means he was top gun. This word is also used to speak of 
a prince or a ruler in the Old Testament. Naaman is not a captain, he's the captain. He is the best. He's highly respected. And why? Because the Lord had given him victory in many battles. It is the Lord. God orchestrates the world events to elevate people in society as he deems necessary. That's what he's done with Naaman. The prophet Daniel tells us in chapter 2, verse 21, that God, it is God who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings, and he establishes kings. God is responsible for those who rise and for those who fall. If you're here today and you have achieved human greatness, wealth, status, reputation, it is God who has done it. It is not us. It is not ourselves. God God provided not only the circumstances for those of us to excel, He provided the faculties. He provided the wisdom. If you're a professional athlete, He has provided you the physical capabilities to do that. If you are a wealthy businessman, He has provided the circumstances for you to excel. God is the one who gives many gifts. For that reason, he needs to be praised for man's success. He's going to make that very evident to Naaman by first permitting Naaman to become a leper. The disease is progressive. It's terminal. Syria, of course, did not practice the Mosaic law, so this leprosy did not automatically exclude Naaman from the culture, didn't automatically keep him out of the military. In fact, the king of Aram took such great satisfaction in Naaman's superiority as a military leader that he was glad to overlook the illness as long as they continue to win. But always lingering in the back of his mind, Naaman knew as he'd lay his head down on his pillow at night, I'm a leper. In verse 2, We read that now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she wanted, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Naaman's army is doing raids inside the territory of Israel. And they come across a young girl. Her character and her conduct must have been amazing. She must have been outstanding in character because they took her then and put her into Naaman's household where she would serve Naaman's wife. So now we have Naaman, a man who's in need of cleansing, and God has sent into his home a witness to the one true God. Think for a moment, how would a young girl from Israel, who is taken captive from her family by a foreign army, she does not know the individuals, she's put into slavery... How would she elude panic and maintain her composure after being kidnapped in a situation like that? She can do so because she's been taught the scriptures. She understands that God is in control. She knew that wherever God placed her, regardless of her circumstances, that her responsibility and her purpose were to proclaim the greatness of God of Israel. Where would she have learned this? 
I don't believe that all of this is loose conjecture. As an Israel, Israelite girl, she would have been taught the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. And she would have learned about a young man who was betrayed, betrayed by his family, by his brothers, and sold into slavery and sent into Egypt, where God raised him up to be the greatest in the land, only less than Pharaoh. This young girl would have surely been taught about Joseph and how he had been betrayed and about how life wasn't fair to him and about how he was taken into a situation to protect Israel. Are you teaching your children the scriptures? Are you making God's sovereignty clear that God is in control? The Apostle Paul reminded young Timothy that from childhood you've known the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, which is through Christ Jesus. Are you bringing your children to church? Are you bringing your grandchildren to church? Involving them in Sunday school so that they can learn about these Old Testament saints who suffered some very difficult circumstances, yet God was in control orchestrating all of it, all the time. It's true with Naaman, it's true with Joseph, it's true about a nameless Israelite girl. She knew that every situation she found herself in, that God was working through that. This really is, is the great theological divide in Christian orthodoxy. In biblical orthodoxy, what is truth in belief? We think about that our culture slides on the fact that a new definition of marriage is coming or some other difficult thing for us to tolerate. That's not where the slide starts. It doesn't start there. It starts on whether God is in control, whether God created the universe, and whether he is orchestrating events or not. If he is, we can take confidence that he is working even when you're enslaved, even when things are unfair, if we do not believe in that worldview, in that biblical view, then everything's just by chance. We don't know why things are happening. We don't have a purpose. God isn't working behind the scenes. Perhaps we just evolved into where we are now. God is in control. God is orchestrating human history to bring glory to himself. This girl serves God and man faithfully. Look in verse 3. The girl said to her mistress, that's Naaman's wife, I wish that my master were here, or were with the prophet who was in Samaria. This would have been Elisha. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel girl had to have been very reliable for Naaman to go to the king and tell him that a slave girl told me this. Then the king of Aram said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Certainly we can expect that if Naaman thought that there was a chance that he could be healed, that the king who was very concerned about Naaman's loyalty, that he was going to let Naaman give it a try. This isn't a huge leap of faith on the king's part. It says that Naaman departed and took with him ten talents of silver, 750 pounds of silver, 
and 6,000 shekels of gold, it's 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. He was loaded. At this time, the, the king of Aram is Ben-Hadad II, who was reigning about 850 years before Christ. Certainly, he'd be willing to go to extraordinary lengths if there was any chance that his top general could be healed. He dispatched a diplomatic letter, some gifts, almost three million bucks in gold and silver as a motivator to anyone who could heal Naaman. But Ben-Hadad did not believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel. We know that for certain in verse 18. He has his own God. So if there was going to exist some kind of cure for leprosy in Israel, Ben-Hadad would not believe that it was going to come at the hand of a Jewish prophet. No, Ben-Hadad say, if I'm sending Naaman to Israel, it's going to come at the hand of a king. He's not worried about a prophet of God. That isn't a lot different than modern day. We have people in business. We have people with a lot of power, a lot of money. If you have someone, let's say the, the... CEO of Microsoft, who runs into a problem with his corporation, the compatibility with Intel, he's going to contact the president of Intel. And they're going to meet and they're going to resolve it. He's not going to ask the president of Intel, are you going to gather your pastor together with us where we can pray about this? He's going to go to someone who he thinks can remedy the problem. And for Ben-Hadad, that's not going to be a prophet. He's not a believer. He's going to send a letter to the king, his peer, For this reason, I don't think that Hadad ever mentioned the prophet Elisha in the letter. Um, He wrote to a king of Israel that we're all familiar with. His name's Jehoram. Ben-Hadad sent this letter, this diplomatic letter, to the ninth king of Israel. He's a very ungodly king. In fact, he and Elisha didn't have personal interactions. They didn't go to church together. They didn't have Christmas dinner together. They really didn't speak. Looking at the history, it would tell us why. Jehoram's parents were King Ahab and Jezebel. Jehoram's daddy Ahab was the one who sent the 450 prophets of Baal to confront Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah, of course, was the mentor of Elisha. Let's just say, in it, spiritually speaking, Jehoram didn't come from very good bloodline. His dad was wicked. Jehoram wasn't a lot better. So when Hadad, King Hadad, requested that Naaman be healed, Jehoram panicked. He knew he couldn't heal anybody. And he actually thought the king of Syria was looking to pick a fight. So he wants to quarrel against me. Look in verse 6. We find Naaman brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it said this. And now, as this letter comes to you, Hadad says, Behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? This man, Hadad, is sending word to me to cure his man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. Israel and Syria had been in a relative time of peace. Uh, Syria had the stronger military. You can bet when Naaman showed up at the palace with his entourage, 
that Jehoram began shaking in his boots. Here's a decorated general showing up with an armored caravan, hauling several mule loads of silver and gold. Naaman wouldn't have traveled alone. He would have had several hundred of his servants and military personnel along with him. Not only to protect the gold and the silver, but to protect Naaman, the top general. This wasn't a small band. This had chariots. This had warriors. It was a diplomatic mission. But he definitely would have had some oomph behind him. It'd probably be like, when he shows up at the king's door, Darth Vader from Star Wars. He's coming to the king's door with probably a couple hundred stormtroopers behind him. Knocks on the door and he says, Heal me. Jehoram's like, This is not good. This king in Syria is seeking a quarrel against me. No one heals leprosy. Jehoram would tell himself. He was right. During this era, no one had ever healed leprosy. Jesus himself said, Luke 4.27, There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So to this point, the king had not seen anyone cleansed of leprosy. Naaman was going to be the first in his era. So Jesus himself documents this historical encounter between Naaman and Elisha. But Jehoram was the type that wouldn't believe what he had not seen. We know what Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Jehoram wanted to see it with his eyes. He wouldn't believe like the young Israelite girl. She knew there was a prophet in Israel that could do anything. Jehoram? No. He'd never seen a leper cleansed. If he can't see it, he won't believe it. Well, while Jehoram is buying some time about uh, how to deal with Naaman, Naaman goes out and, and news trickles out to Elijah. I wouldn't even doubt that after being sidestepped by the king that Naaman begins to kind of poke around town and say, Is anybody know about any prophet here in Israel. Some girl told me about someone named Elisha. It happened then in verse 8. It says, It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he had sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let Naaman come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now called by the prophet, Naaman wastes no time. It says, So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elijah. They're lined up. The motorcade pulls up to Elijah's little tiny missionary house. And the general steps out and steps to the front door. He can't wait to meet this Elijah guy face to face. What does Elijah do? Sends a servant. Sends a servant to the door. Servant says to Naaman, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. 
Naaman is absolutely furious. How dare the man of God not come out to give him the respect that he deserves? Naaman says, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. Here we find three very critical problems with Naaman's theology. First, number one, he wanted the cleansing of God without God himself. He said he thought for sure Elijah would come out and call on the name of the Lord his God. Naaman didn't come willing to accept Elisha's God. We find a whole lot of people today in our world that want the blessing of God. They don't want God. Number two, Naaman wanted the man of God to come out to him on his terms. Come out to me and wave your hands all over. I want to have something spectacular that I can send back and tell my friends back home about. Naaman already made up his mind what this religion was supposed to look like. He wanted it on his terms. He said, man of God, come out and perform for me. I want the religious thing done my way. Elijah replied, I don't dance. I don't care how much money you have or how many medals are on your jacket or which king your diplomatic record comes from. He said, God's grace is not for sale. I'm not your court jester, he's telling them. That's not so true today. A lot of times the church is much more interested in how they can woo people, how they can go out and impress people, how the church can go out and say, can we offer you something to come here and worship God? What kind of coffee do you like? We'll make sure that we get that immediately. Can we recline your seat before the service? The church is going out and trying to win people by giving them something other than Christ. Creates very selfish people. It's not people who want to come and bow their knee to God. They just want what God has to offer. Elijah says that's not going to happen. So Naaman wanted the blessing without accepting God. He demanded that religion be on his terms. And number three, Naaman would not accept that there's only one specific way to be cleansed. Verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? The answer is no. You cannot. The Abana and the Farpar are not alternatives to the Jordan. There's no alternative source of cleansing and restoration outside the one true Savior and God of Israel. You can't go to another religion, another place, another location and get the cleansing. You can't go somewhere that gives you a better arrangement than what you are offered here. The answer is no. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. 
There is no alternative source of cleansing. So Naaman's servants begin to plead and reason with Naaman. In verse 13 it says, Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Just wash and be clean. They knew their master well. They had been around for his courageous exploits. He would have done anything to have been healed. He probably would have fought a lion with his bare hands. But then who would have received the glory for the achievement? Naaman, not God. God says, I don't work like that. God makes cleansing instead incredibly simple. Wash and be cleansed. There's a lot of people out there that say, I want to do great things for the Lord. When I finally get on the national scene and I got a big audience, well, yeah, they say, then I'm really going to do it. If Larry King would ask me to come on his TV show, then I would surely glad gladly tell him that Jesus is the only way, unlike some other pastors that he's had on there. Like Naaman, we want to do great things. Sometimes God just asks us to do very simple things. We're not supposed to sit around and listen for the phone, wait for Diane Sawyer to call. He said, just go across the neighbor to the neighbor. Tell them incredibly simple things. I got to hand one thing to Naaman. He had a sense of reason. He could acknowledge his problems. That's what we need in great leaders today. Leaders that can reflect on themselves and listen when they hear good wisdom. He was not so proud as to disregard the advice of a servant. Hey, when you need to be cleansed, you do about anything. So why not try faith? So the next text shows that he listened to his servants. In verse 14 it says, So Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And the flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He followed the word of God, prescribed by the man of God, and he was cleansed. Now everything about his demeanor has changed. Naaman decides to return and thank the prophet. Remember on the first visit, when Naaman went there, Elijah's under the law. Elijah could not come out to Naaman. Leviticus 13.45 says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair on his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The law made very clear that the leper was unclean. 
And the leper was ordered to dwell outside the camp and away from the presence of God. That is a very literal event in Naaman's life. But the leprosy is also a picture of what sin does to us. It makes us unclean. It isolates you. It makes you alone. It prohibits you from approaching God. prohibits you from dwelling with the people of God. Sin has to be cleansed. After trusting in the word of God and after being cleansed, are some things different for Naaman? Let's read. In verse 15 it says, When Naaman returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before Elisha, now after being cleansed, Naaman can be approached by Elisha. He stood before Elijah. He said, Behold now, I know there is no God on all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. Naaman urged him to take it. Elijah refused. This is a picture of a truly repentant heart. Naaman first arrived wanting to buy his cleansing. Now after receiving a free cleansing, cleansing, Naaman is under no contractual obligation to return to Elijah and give him thanks. Elijah never said after you're cleansed, you have to come back here and thank me. He goes back. This time he doesn't have demands as how Elijah is supposed to minister to him. Instead, he voluntarily pleads that the prophet will accept his money. No longer now is he a military commander, but he self-identifies himself in this passage as Elijah's servant. He comes and he still wants to give him the money. He could have skipped town after the cleansing. He didn't. He said, I've got to go back. I've got to thank this person who told me about the God of Israel. He's been made now into a reflection of his Savior. Elijah refuses the money. Now it's not that Elijah never received gifts. We know from other texts that Elijah did receive gifts from people. That's not the point. Elijah was going to make sure that Naaman, when he returned to Syria, wasn't going to go and show everyone that he had been cleansed by this God of Israel, and ultimately, in the end, it did cost him something. No. No, this isn't going to cost anything. He's not going to go back and say, yeah, in the end, you know, I did give the guy a couple million bucks. Elijah's like, we aren't going to scar this by taking any money from the man. So as a man of God, he was not concerned. Elisha was not concerned about finding his way into another man's pocketbook. He knows that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide whatever is necessary. God will move hearts. God will bless when he decides to bless. Elisha didn't have to take advantage of anyone. It reminds me of a story at Dallas Seminary. Quite famous. You, you maybe heard it in passing. Seminary was founded in 1923 by uh, Lewis Berry Chafer. And they wanted to go back to the truth of God, teach the Word of God, and only the Word of God, and that's the reason it was founded. And they had a board meeting in the 30s, and they'd fallen on hard times. I don't know if anyone here was still alive in the dirty 30s, but it was not good. And financially, they're about done. They were going to shutter the doors. In fact, the board 
was meeting in the boardroom at the seminary, and they had uh, their secretary taking notes, and they were talking about how they were going to shutter the doors. They are praying. They said, we need to pray. Is, God, is this really God what he wants us to do? It seems like we've had such a good start. Yet, we know we don't have any money to go on. So they were planning to shut down, and they were in prayer. This is a true story. The woman who was taking the minutes went out. Uh, someone had shown up, someone in cowboy hat and boots, Texan, had shown up and wanted to speak to someone at the seminary. And uh, she said, well, they're in a meeting right now. Is, is there anything I can do for you? Can I schedule a time for you? And this Texan who had come from very far away came to sell his cattle. I think you know what happened. He laid down that check as they were in prayer. Dallas Seminary survives to this day. Produced a lot of great preachers, a lot of servants, and uh, they didn't go out, they didn't manipulate. God provided when he was going to provide. Elijah knows that you don't have to manipulate anyone. God will provide. Naaman has one more thing he has resolved before heading home. Remember as he described the God of Israel as Elijah's God, the Lord your God? Well, Naaman says now in verse 17, if you won't take any money, please let your servant at least be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but only to the Lord. Naaman now is exclusively devoted to the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. I am who I am. He's learned there's no other gods and there's salvation in no place else. He even wants to take some of the dirt home with him. The general who was outside the camp of God now wants to take the camp with him back to Syria. Can I just be blunt? I guess I can. If you are here today, and if you are not a Christian, and if you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, spiritually, you're a leper. You need to be cleansed. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and there is none righteous. There's not even one who's righteous. So when God looks at you, and he doesn't see the reflection of his son, he sees a leper who's not allowed to approach. But God's offered a cleansing for sin. Naaman was cleansed by the washing of the Jordan. Today you can be cleansed by the blood of Christ poured out for you on the cross. God says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in his son. What we earn from our sins is a death sentence, even a humiliating death on a cross. Jesus said, I'm going to stand in the gap. He lived a life that we cannot live without sin. He died a death that we cannot die for ourselves. He died on a cross, cross so you don't need to. few days later he conquered the grave he was seen by many he's seen by the women he was seen by the apostles scripture says he's seen by over 500 at one time the bible says that is all the evidence you need today to put your faith in jesus christ
Like for Naaman, the cleansing is really simple. You don't need money. You don't need influence. You don't need power. You don't need to buy anything. Wash and be cleansed. Apostle John wrote, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. It's one other thing. We need to accept Christ, trust Christ, and give our lives to Christ. A lot of times we were talking about salvation and Christ died for you. He did die for you. You read through scripture, it also says you need to repent. You need to look at yourself, examine yourselves, and change yourselves. Allow God to change you in your sin. When Naaman went down into that water, when he took off his scab-infested clothes, he walked in and he was cleansed, and he came back out. Do you think he put those old, dirty, nasty clothes back on again? No. He told his servants, get me one of those new set of clothes that you got over there on the meal. He changed. Had a complete repentance and change of heart to serve, he said, the Lord, my God now. Amen? Do that today. Do that today. Shall we pray? Lord, during this great great Christmas season, this wonderful offering you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, who willingly came as a baby, offered himself, offered his life to live a perfect life, free from sin, Lord, and then to teach us about God, to show us God. We know that He was an exact representation of you. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and only he can forgive sin. And then, Lord, he went and died for us. And he rose for us. Lord, I pray this Christmas holiday, as we look at that cute baby in the manger and sing stories that did not just be a secular holiday, that it not just be a tradition that we talk about, some songs that we sing that don't mean anything to our heart. Lord, we pray that we aren't tempted to continue to just do religion our own way, but that we do religion your way. Lord, that we'd worship you in truth, in wisdom and truth. Lord, and I pray that if anyone were here and not really understand why there had to be a Christmas why there had to be a Savior to come and live for us that which we can't live ourselves because we're sinners, we're unclean. Lord, we can't approach you without an advocate. Scripture says there is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus, your Son, Lord God, by which we approach you. We can't do it on our own. Lord, I pray we all have made that decision to accept Jesus Christ here today. Bless us in our holiday. Bless us to be good witnesses to you and to serve you in the days and in the new year ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you, give you his peace.
Merry Christmas. Amen.